Section 45 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wilkie Mills. Wagner, the Master Singers of Nuremberg. Die Meistersinger von Nürnberg. After the decay of the knightly court poetry of the Minnesingers, whose pure and noble art had been inspired and encouraged by the age of chivalry in which they lived, the spontaneous love of song, natural to the character of the German people, was lost for a time in the gloom and ignorance of the dark Middle Ages. But, Later on, when the Reformation had once more lighted the way to knowledge and culture, the beautiful art was revived by guilds of musical enthusiasts known as the Master Singers. But the dramatic, chivalric conception of life, which had been the prevailing spirit of the Minnesingers of old, all of whom had been of noble birth and exercised their art in the courts of kings, never quite returned, for the master-singers, being but humble burghers and artisans, could not attain to such courtly grace of expression, and their art was naturally of a stiffer and more pedantic character. Yet they did excellent work, establishing schools and guilds of poetry and song in most of the principal towns of Germany but by hedging themselves in by narrow rules and conventions, they left little margin for the soaring spirit of true genius, which ever chafes at petty restraints and insists on freedom of fancy. In Nuremberg, the Mastersingers attained to the greatest excellence of their class, and in the middle of the sixteenth century there flourished in this community the simple-minded, large-hearted, Hans Sachs, the truest poet of his time, whose broad views were in refreshing contrast to the dull and cramped conceptions of art held by most of the master singers. It was during the time when Hans Sachs was a leader amongst the celebrated master singers of Nuremberg that this story opens, and upon St. John's Eve, in a certain year, he and his musical friends were called upon to undergo a new and exciting experience in the pursuit of their beloved art. Viet Pogner, a goldsmith and the wealthiest of the older master singers, impelled by an enthusiastic love of art, had just offered the hand of his beautiful daughter Eva, together with the inheritance of all his riches and worldly possessions, as a prize to the master musician who should gain the wreath of victory in the grand contest to be held on St. John's Day, in accordance with the usual custom. Amongst the competing masters who felt most confident of success was Sixtus Beckmesser, the town clerk, who occupied the important office of marker in the society, an officer whose duty it was to mark on a slate the faults made against the established rules and regulations of the guild. Beckmesser, 
though without talent and no longer young, nor even possessed of any pleasing personal charms, was so conceited that he fancied none to be his equal in music and poetry, and in spite of the fact that Eva was to have power to refuse the prize-winner, should he prove distasteful to her, he yet felt assured of success, though the maiden had never shown signs of favor to him. As a matter of fact, Eva had already fixed her affections upon a young knight, one Sir Walter von Stolzing, who being descended from the old minnesingers, whose glorious achievements he had read of and studied, and in whom the truly poetic, romantic, and knightly art was revived, had left his now decaying ancestral hall in order to find kindred spirits among the celebrated master-singers of music-loving Nuremberg, and having once been brought into contact with the soaring, enthusiastic spirit of this noble youth, she could never again be contented with the pedantic methods of the Burger master-singers. Walter, having business relations with old Pogner in connection with his poverty-stricken estate, had thus made acquaintance with the goldsmith's fair daughter, and the exquisite soul-inspiring beauty and pure, sweet nature of this maiden, having quickly kindled a consuming passion in his impetuous, romantic heart, and knowing that his love was returned, he determined to enter the ranks of the competitors on St. John's Day, since none but a master-singer could aspire to her hand, and trusted that his great love would enable his song to gain the victor's wreath. For this reason he repaired on St. John's Eve to the Church of St. Catherine, where the master-singers held their meetings, and requested to be admitted to the competition. He was greatly disconcerted on being informed by a lively young man named David, who was apprenticed to Hans Sachs the cobbler, that the musical guild was arranged as a trades guild, with degrees of membership, such as apprentices, scholars, and singers, and that it was usual to spend at least a year in each degree before attaining to the rank of a master, and he was filled with impatience on hearing of the many petty rules and narrow restrictions in verse and song-making which were necessary to be observed ere he could hope to please the master-singers, who had absolute faith in their own standard of perfection, and refused to admit into their ranks any who failed to conform to the same, seven faults only against the rules being allowed to candidates for admission to their competitions. Nevertheless, still believing in his own natural gifts, which he had cultivated in the beautiful woodlands of his birthplace, untrammeled by forms and conventions, when the master-singers had assembled, he requested permission to prove to them that he was a master of poetic song, and therefore justified in entering the competition on the morrow. And since he was introduced to them by Pogner himself, who vouched for his good faith, he was invited to sing a song, though the guild members were horrified on hearing that he had never studied in any master-singing guild, and had received no other instruction than that afforded by a love of nature and a natural poetic instinct fanned into being by reading accounts of the romantic minnesingers of old. Beckmesser, the marker, 
having pompously ensconced himself in his accustomed curtained recess with slate and chalk to mark down the faults of the candidate announced that he was ready to hear the young knight's trial and walter immediately burst forth into an enthusiastic song in praise of springtime and maidenhood so full of true poetry and music that it held the master spellbound in spite of the fact that it completely outraged all their pet rules in every direction but the conceited beckmesser was full of indignation that one so unheedful of the forms and conventions of his own infallible guild should dare to aspire to enter the ranks of the master singers and before the song was half finished he burst noisily from behind his curtain and contemptuously announced that the candidate had already failed many times over since his slate was scored at least fifty times with faults against the rules the singer having had no regard at all for the special construction of verse and musical form which he and his friends alone considered to be correct the master singers all agreed with the marker's condemnation with the exception of hans Sachs, who knew that beckmesser's verdict was chiefly caused by jealousy and he himself being the only true poet musician in the master singers guild alone was able to appreciate walter's beautiful song and seeing that the young knight had a real and lofty genius far beyond anything that his burgher friends could boast of boldly stood up in his defense declaring to the outraged company that the stranger's music was of a higher order than their own and consequently not to be judged by their standards which might not be infallible after all but the master singers were not to be convinced even though their favorite hans sack spoke in favor of the audacious stranger and so walter was declared outsung and in no way fit to be admitted into the ranks of the master singers the young knight repelled by the master singer's narrow art from which he had hoped to derive such pleasure was filled with disappointment and despair but finding that he could not hope to gain the hand of his beloved eva as a master singer he determined to make an attempt to elope with her that evening eva being anxious to learn how her lover had fared at his trial sent her attendant magdalena to get the news from her sweetheart david and apprentice of hans Sachs. and then upon returning at dusk from a walk with her father she remained outside the house to hear what her handmaid had to say the two girls talked in low tones for they saw that hans Sachs whose shop stood exactly opposite the house of the goldsmith, was still at work, for honest Hans, suspecting the young knight's intention with regard to Eva, had determined to frustrate his plans, in kindness to the imprudent pair, since he loved them both. Eva was in despair when told by Magdalena of her lover's failure, but seeing Walter at that moment approaching, she sent her maid within doors and awaited him with a joy she could not conceal the lovers embraced rapturously and eva enthralled by walter's love for her readily agreed to his passionate pleading that they should fly together that night 
Ere they could make their escape, however, they heard approaching steps, and hastily concealing themselves behind some bushes, they were forced to wait until the intruder should depart. The newcomer was none other than Beckmesser, the conceited marker, who, having composed a song to sing at the contest on the morrow, had come now to sing it as a serenade beneath the window of the fair Eva, hoping that the maiden would be thus so favorably impressed by his composition that she would speak in his favor when he was adjudged the winner, as he so fondly expected to be, and stationing himself beneath his charmer's chamber window, he commenced his song, which was in reality a very poor one, consisting of inferior poetry and worse melody. Hans Sachs, hoping now to deter Sir Walter and Eva from their rash act by keeping them in their hiding-place, at once began to sing himself in a very loud voice to a rollicking tune and merry words, an unexpected performance which was naturally very disconcerting to the serenader. In a furious rage at this wanton drowning of his sentimental song, with which he had intended to win the heart of Eva, Beckmesser many times shouted to the cobbler to hold his peace, but, finding that Hans refused to listen to his request, he resorted to strategy in order to enable his fair mistress to hear his song undisturbed. Approaching the cobbler's shop, he invited Hans to listen to his song and criticize it, that he might correct any faults there might be in the composition ere performing it on the morrow, and this the cobbler agreed to do, saying that for every fault he detected, he would hammer a nail into the pair of shoes he was that moment mending for the town clerk, who had been blaming him earlier in the day for being behindhand with his work. So Beckmesser began his song again, full of delight at observing a maiden's figure appear at the chamber window, imagining this to be his adored one, though it was in reality the waiting-maid, Magdalena, who was anxiously awaiting the return of her young mistress, but his rage was soon increased tenfold, for his halting verses were so full of faulty accents and unmusical discords that the cobbler's hammer fell with a thud almost constantly. Ere the song was half over, Hans ran out of his shop, and, holding up the finished shoes in triumph, cried mischievously in imitation of the marker's own manner at the young knight's examination, Haven't you done yet? Because I've finished the shoes already, thanks to the many faults you have made. As Beckmesser furiously endeavored to scream out the last verses of his song, the apprentice David, disturbed by this unmusical squalling, opened his chamber window, and seeing his sweetheart Magdalena in the chamber opposite, and thinking this serenade addressed to her, he was seized with jealousy, and rushing out into the street set upon the bold serenader and began to cudgel him with right good will. Taken thus by surprise, Beckmesser began to cry out for aid, for David was a lusty youth and was quickly beating him black and blue, and aroused by the sounds of the scuffle, the neighbors came pouring from their houses on every side, and not understanding the reason for the commotion, but stumbling in the dark against each other, they began to quarrel amongst themselves, 
and a general scrimmage quickly ensued, in which the mischievous apprentice friends of David gladly took part, enjoying the riot as a great joke. Thinking that in the midst of this scuffle they might make their escape, Sir Walter tenderly endeavoured to lead Eva round the edge of the crowd, but Hans Sachs, who had kept his eyes constantly on the pair, soon frustrated this pretty plan by seizing Walter's arm in his own iron grasp, and at the same time pushing Eva up the steps of her father's house, where she was quickly seized and taken within by Pogner himself, who, having opened his door to inquire the cause of the scrimmage, was amazed to find his daughter in the midst of the crowd. Having seen that the half-fainting Eva was safely in her father's care, Hans Sachs, having first caught David and unceremoniously kicked him into his shop, followed himself, dragging the despairing Walter with him, and upon the sound of the night watchman's horn being heard, the crowd melted away as quickly as it had gathered, so that by the time the sleepy guardian of the peace appeared, the street was deserted, and still once more. Next morning, as Hans attired in gala dress, ready for the great festival of St. John's Day, sat in his workshop, the young knight entered from the chamber where he had been resting, and announced to his kind friend that he had just awakened from a beautiful and vivid dream which he longed to put into song, and the honest art-loving cobbler entreated him to sing it to him straight away, whilst still fresh in his mind, in the form of a master-song of the correct form, of which he gave him some few hints, declaring that with such a heaven-sent subject, sung in the richly flowing stream of melody that was his own priceless gift, he would certainly yet win the maiden he loved so well. Encouraged thus by the large-hearted Hans, and inspired by his dream, Walter broke forth into a gloriously beautiful song, perfect alike in poetic form and wondrous melody, which the cobbler eagerly wrote down as he sang. And when the song came to an end, Hans, overcome with emotion and joy, hastily pushed the singer back to his chamber, bidding him put on gala raiment, and declaring himself confident of his success in the contest. Whilst the knight was thus engaged, Beckmesser entered the shop, so stiff from his cudgelling of the night before that he could scarcely walk, and intending to continue his quarrel with the cobbler. But seeing the manuscript of the song lying on the table, and imagining this to have been composed by Hans, his mood quickly changed, and he asked to be allowed to sing this in the competition, instead of the one he had written himself, since the latter, he added conceitedly, had now without doubt lost the charm it possessed in the ears of his adored mistress, who, having once heard it under such adverse conditions, would probably never care to hear it again. Hans, knowing well enough that the unmusical town clerk would never be able to enter into the beauty of Walter's love-inspired words, said that he might have the song, bidding him, however, to sing it to a suitable melody, and Beckmesser, more confident than ever of his success, hurried away, full of delight at having thus secured, as he supposed, 
a song by Hans Sachs, who was acknowledged to be the finest poet amongst the master singers. A little later in the day, crowds of merry holiday makers assembled in the large open meadow on the outskirts of Nuremberg to hear the great competition of song, which had been so eagerly looked forward to by all, and when Eva, the fair prize-maiden looking more beautiful than ever in her dazzling white robe, and attended by a number of pretty maids of honor, had taken her seat upon the dais, which had been set for her, the enthralling business of the day began. Amidst a sudden hush of expectancy, Hans Sachs rose to announce once again to the people the generous and soul-inspiring prize offered by the art-loving Pogner, to be awarded to the master musician whose song should be unanimously declared the most worthy of praise, and when the loud applause which greeted this speech had died away, Beckmesser was called upon to commence his song. Nervously unrolling the manuscript he had all the morning been vainly endeavoring to commit to memory, Beckmesser moved forward and began his song, singing it to an altogether unsuitable, discordant, and unmusical tune, and in a frantic effort to remember the sense of what he was singing, he mixed up the words in the most hopeless manner, and plunging deeper into the mire of confusion as he proceeded, he succeeded in completely losing himself and converted the poem into an astonishing potpourri of ludicrous and meaningless balderdash. At first the people listened in amazement, thinking that the infallible marker, usually such a stickler for the correct rules of master-singing, had suddenly taken leave of his senses and then, unable to restrain their merriment any longer, they all burst forth into a loud peal of derisive laughter, which completely drowned the ridiculous singer. In a furious rage of disappointment and wounded vanity, Beckmesser flung the manuscript at the feet of Hans Sachs, declaring to the people that the cobbler had schemed thus to disgrace him by foisting his own bad song upon him. But in spite of his defense, as he rushed away in a storm of vexation, he was followed by the jeers of the crowd, with whom he was by no means popular, and who had not desired that one so pompous and elderly should gain so fair a prize. When Beckmesser had disappeared, Hans Sachs picked up the despised poem, and declared to the people that the song was a good one but could only be properly sung by the person who had composed it, whose name was not Hans Sachs, and then he called on Sir Walter von Stolzing, as the composer of the song who would, by singing it to them, quickly prove that he was worthy to be regarded as the very master-singer of master-singers. A hum of admiration swept over the assembled company, as the young knight stepped forward, for here, indeed, was one whose graceful form, glowing eyes, and poetry-inspired brow recalled the resplendent minnesingers of old, and with hearts that throbbed with excitement, they listened to the rich, joyous flood of melody that now filled the summer air. Yes, Hans Sachs was right, 
and the song was a noble one, and this was a heaven-sent singer who laid a magic touch upon their very hearts, and filled them with a rapture almost too incensed to be born, and even the critical master-singers who had cavilled at his heedless disregard of their various rules the evening before, were now held spellbound with wonder that song could be so glorious a thing. As the song came to an end, a deafening burst of applause broke from the assemblage, who, with one accord, declared the young knight to be the winner in the contest. And as the beautiful Eva bent forward to place, with hands that trembled with joy, the wreath of victory upon the brow of the man she loved, a second burst of applause broke forth, for the two were well matched and made a fair picture as they stood together. The master singers now eagerly invited Walter to join their guild as one of themselves, an honor which, however, the young knight proudly refused, since his free spirit could not be curbed within so small a range. On hearing this, Hans Sachs humorously reproved him for speaking disparagingly of an art which had bestowed so rare a prize upon him and then he launched forth staunchly into a speech in praise of the honest German art he loved so well, a speech which was received with the wildest enthusiasm by all, for Hans Sachs was the darling of the people of Nuremberg. Thus the contest of song came to an end, and the young knight, who had set out so hopefully in search of art, had found as well a fair bride, whose love should henceforth be the magic golden key that should unlock for him the gates of fame, honor, and glory. End of section 45